Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Well, now we're going to start a brand new series called um, Different. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the book of 1 Peter, and, and we're going to see how God is, is calling us as followers of Jesus to be different. And really, I've struggled with that because I'm thinking, is, is he calling us to be different? Is, is it a call? Is it an expectation? Is it I hope you will? I mean, what is that? And then what, when I say different, what does that mean? And when I say different, I'm not talking about different, like weird different. <clears throat> y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, weird just for the sake of being weird. Y'all know any Christians that they're just, they're just weird. <clears throat> and they're weird on the outside. It's like there's this almost rebellious, defiant kind of, of way that they, they, they are different, they dress different, and they look down at everybody else like they think they're better than everybody else. Y'all know anybody like that? See, I've met those weird people over the years. I remember years ago, no kidding, I was working in a grocery store, and a guy looked at me one time, and he said, God has not called you to preach. I said, well, I ain't been in church that long. I'm willing to take you out back and show you what he's called me to do. And I mean to do that in love, of course. And, um, and here was his reasoning. He said, because you wear blue jeans and tennis shoes. I said, what? <laughs> what has that got to do with my heart? What does that have to do with my call? Really, no kidding. So I'm not talking about, you know, weird kind of different, just, just to be weird. I'm not talking about standing in the crowd in almost a defiant, rebellious, self-righteous way. I'm talking about being different from the inside out, here's, here's the sentence I wrote. The kind of change that takes place on the inside that affects how you act on the outside. Does that make sense? That something radically has taken place on the inside so that how you act, how you respond, how you love, how you treat people, something has changed on you on the inside and that the thing that happens on the outside is that you're different from the rest of the world that's easy uh, to irritate, easy to anger, easy to, to, to um, um, look out only for themselves, for it only to be number one, that there's something different about you that starts on the inside that just works its way out and you just act differently than the rest of the world. That's what I'm talking about. Let me start by giving you a little context for the, for the book of uh, 1 Peter. So who can tell me? Who can tell me who wrote 1 Peter? Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to give you a little hint. It's the same guy who wrote 2 Peter. I'm so funny. Yeah. Peter. <laughs> some, yeah, that's funny because some of y'all are like, what? That would, that would be Peter. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Peter wrote it. All right, there you go. So according to uh, A.W. Tozer, and I don't know what you guys know about A.W. Tozer, but one of the things that I love about him, I love his salvation experience. He was just an average guy. I think he worked at a tire store. And so he was on his way home from work one day, and actually he heard a street preacher. And this, this street preacher said something that struck him. And right there on the spot, this, this man on his way home from work gives his life to Jesus. And some will say that he was a self-taught theologian. In other words, there was something different about this man, something that changed 
radically changed his life from the inside out that caused him to dig deep into the Word. <clears throat> Not digging deep into the Word for the acquisition of knowledge, but digging deep into the Word so that he could understand more and more and more about who this guy named Jesus really is and what a relationship with God looked like. So according to A.W. Tozer, Peter was a bundle of contradictions. And that's really easy to see, isn't it? If you look at his life, like Peter was the very first person to confess Jesus as, as the Messiah, but yet he's the very first person to deny Jesus. Hello? So, you know, when you look at Peter and you look at his writings, we, we're introduced to his mother-in-law, but we never meet his wife. What? I just think that's weird, don't you? Obviously, I'm the only one. Yeah, we, I mean, he's just a bundle of, of contradictions. Peter was the one to whom Jesus said in Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And to be honest, how many of you have ever thought that maybe Jonah was like, maybe his last name and Bar was like maybe his middle name, right? I mean, have you ever read that? Maybe you looked at that just now and you thought like, really? I didn't know like Simon, Jonah, that's a, kind of a weird name. Well, that's, that's not what that means. The word Bar actually means son of. And so li a literal translation is, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. So, so Peter's real name is Simon. I told you, if you really, you really, you, I, I love talking to unchurch people because they have such a fresh perspective on even the Bible. And so they get into it and they start reading and they go, I, what? I thought, I, so I thought his, I thought his name, it was it. So Jesus is the one who changed his name. Jesus is the one who changed his name and then he blessed him. And then five minutes later, literally he says, he says to, to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. And it's like, what? So one minute, one minute Peter is willing to fully give his life to Jesus and something in Peter that Jesus looks at says, wait a minute now, you know, get behind me, Satan. I mean, his whole life seems to be nothing but a bundle of contradictions. And I think that's one of the things that we love about him, isn't it? For those of us that have been in church for any period of time at all, we look at his life and we think, you know what? His life really resembles my life. Maybe we look at David. Maybe we look at some of the other characters in Scripture. Maybe the Apostle Paul. Maybe we look at some of the other heroes of the faith and we look at them and maybe we think that we can't identify at all. But when you look at the life of Peter, you think, you know what? That I can, I can identify with him. He, he, his life is a lot the way my life plays out more than I want to admit. My life is nothing but a bundle of contradictions. But at the end of his life, he got it right. At the end of his life, he fully worshipped Jesus. He was fully devoted to Jesus to the extent that he was willing to literally give his life to Jesus. So what made the difference? What made the difference? What, uh, how, how does he go from being a denier to a pro Fesser. Some of y'all picked up on that. I thought it was funny too. Professor. What's well, a little thing called the resurrection? Peter saw firsthand with his own eyes the risen Savior. After he denied Jesus. After he failed Jesus miserably. 
Jesus comes to him in such a loving, compassionate way to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace. And it was the resurrection of Jesus. It was his witness to the resurrection of Jesus that radically changed his life and made all the difference in the world. And it still makes all the difference in the world, this God encounter. And that's what we pray for you every single week, just so you know. Well, we pray that when people pull onto this campus that they encounter God, that you have a Jesus experience, that something happens during the service, whether it's through the spoken word, whether it's through a song, whether it's literally through somebody greeting you in the, in the lobby, somebody loving on you, somebody giving you some time, that what you have is a personal encounter with a risen Savior who calls you by name and draws you to himself. This personal experience this personal truth experience that makes all the difference. Peter would spend his entire life, literally to his last breath, telling people about Jesus. So church history tells us that Peter was martyred for his faith in 67 A.D. inside the city of Rome where he was crucified. But just before his crucifixion, he literally begs and pleads with his tormentors. He says, Look, listen, don't, don't crucify me like you did Jesus. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. So, so I want you to take me, turn me upside down, hang me on a cross if I have to die on the cross, but turn me upside down. And listen, what I want you to understand is he wasn't doing that so he would stand out. It's not like so that history would record it and, and everybody would, would separate Peter from Jesus, it was because literally in his heart there had been such a radical change is that he literally meant when he said, I'm not worthy to, I'm not worthy to die like him. So upside down with the blood rushing to his head, he gave his life on the cross. It's an incredible story. So these people are getting a letter from a man who, like them, was a bundle of contradictions. And yet at the end of his life, he still worshiped Jesus. He was fully surrendered to Jesus because he had a personal encounter with the risen Savior. Now I want us to look at who he was writing to. And, and he gives us that information at the very beginning of this letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, here's what he says. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. And I underlined those words, living as foreigners. Living as foreigners living as strangers in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these are parts of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and that's the, the specific audience, but it's bigger than that. The beautiful thing about Scripture, when you look at Scripture, there was a specific audience, but beyond that, God is literally, the Holy Spirit's intent is to use these words to radically speak to us as well. So the message for these people is the same message that is for us. This message would be for all followers of Jesus who sometimes feel like they are living as foreigners. Or as the New American Standard Version puts it, to those who reside, to those who reside as strangers. And that word strangers, it's an interesting word. The Greek word, it means this. It means an exile living far from home. Is that making sense to you at all? An exile, someone who's living far from home, 
the idea behind the word is of someone who lives as a temporary resident in a foreign land with a constant awareness of their true home. Y'all see that? Let that sink in. Look at it again. Look at it deeply. Look at it. A temporary resident in a foreign land with a constant awareness of their true home. And I think that that should line up with anybody who is a follower of Jesus. I just don't know that it does. That we should literally feel like that we're in, sometimes that we're in a strange land, that we're only, that we don't fit in necessarily with the rest of the world, that somehow we know deep down inside there's been this change inside and that we know that we're radically different. We're not like everybody else. Not that we're better than everybody else. Please do not misunderstand me. Not that we become self-righteous and haughty and we look down our nose at everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. But that there has been a change on the inside and we act differently and we know that we just don't fit in. I experienced this uh, actually last week and uh, we were in Nashville. Tennessee, Karen and I, and, uh, and we were in Nashville, and, and we were on Broadway. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, and I've had it a couple times, but as I, I you know, and it was, it was, it was a busy night, and, and, and the street was packed, and the bars were packed, and, and there were the party wagons and buses, and I didn't know they had buses now. They have buses for bigger parties, I guess. I don't really know, and I never understood how drunk people pedal those. I've always thought, if I'm drunk, I'm, I want to ride. You know what I'm saying? I'm thumbing. I'm looking for a ride. I'm not going to pedal nothing. Anyway, anyway, here was the thing. At first, I looked at those folks, and, and my, heart, my heart broke, and I was so sad because I thought, I've been where you are. I know what that, I know what that feels like. And, and right now, you feel like you're on top of the world, or at least you look that way. But you're going to wake up in the morning, and you're going to be miserable. And then i got to be honest with you. I, I felt like I, I don't belong here. I just I don't belong here. Maybe you've been that way. Maybe you say, you know what, I feel like I'm the only Christian at work. I mean, I feel like, I feel like at work I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe you're at school and you think, you know what, I, honestly, at school I feel like I'm the only Christian that, that, that's around. I don't know of anybody else that are, that are followers of Jesus. Maybe it's in your neighborhood and you walk through your neighborhood and maybe on a Sunday morning and you think, you know what, I, I think I feel like that I'm the only Christian here. And, and if you feel different, scattered like a stranger. That's the point. We're not supposed to feel like this is our home. And I think that for too many followers of Jesus, honestly, this has just become home. We've been scattered into the world. We've been scattered into the workplace. We've been scattered into, the, into your school. You've been scattered into that neighborhood. In other words, you've been sent out on a mission to share, to share Jesus wherever, wherever your circumstances send you. That we're on a mission. And the mission is to be able to tell other people about Jesus. That's the mission. Everywhere we go, we're to live differently and intentionally. And when people ask, why are you so different? Not, dude, you got the weirdest haircut in the world. Like, why would you do that? Well, I follow Jesus. Like, why would you wear those? That, that's the most ridiculous clothes I've ever seen in my life. I just want to stand out in the crowd. I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Then when people look at us and they go, you know what, somehow, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it, but you're different. You react to things differently. When everybody else in the world is angry, you seem to be loving and kind 
And when they do that, we can share with them the life-changing message of Jesus. Boy, I wrote this next sentence. You have no idea. I struggled with it. I, I did. I changed it. I don't know how many times. And I simply wrote this. I said, we have the power of our homeland, the power of our homeland, hmm. power of our homeland to offer that citizenship to anybody and everybody who would believe. And I thought, uh, power. And then I thought of authority. I thought, okay, authority, that we can, on the authority of, of, of God's word, on the authority of, of who God is, on the authority of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, on the authority of the shed blood of Jesus, that we can look at people and say, listen. And then I thought, it's not just authority, it's not just power, it is a privilege that we can do that. A privilege. Not because we think we're better than them, but because we can look and say, you know what, I know what you're looking for, and you're miserable. And what I want you to know, and you may look at us and think that we're weird, and that we're different, and that you can never fit in, but what I want you to know on the authority of God and His Word is that you can be a citizen just like us, because we're no better than you. <laughs> There's room at the table for everyone and anyone. We're scattered so that we might effectively live as strangers. Oh, yeah, and then just so you know, these, these people that Peter's writing to, these people that Peter's writing to, suffering. And I honestly don't know how to explain that. And I've been in texts like this for years, and if you read the New Testament, you can't help but see that these early followers of Jesus Suffered. First Peter was written somewhere between the year of 60 and 65 A.D. during the reign of a very evil and corrupt man known as Nero. If you don't know much about Nero, let me try to paint a little bit of a picture for you, at least to help you understand Nero. Um, Nero was a bad man. He killed his mama. Some of y'all must not have good mamas. That's all I can figure like, I would be thinking, oh, that's awful. Some of y'all thinking, I understand. <laughs> Me too. So he killed his mama. I mean, you've got to be a bad man to want to kill your mama. He also, it's, I mean, it's, it's recorded in history that he killed his first wife. It is believed that he killed his second wife. But there's no record at all that he ever killed his mother's-in-law. And I'm the only one who saw that. I first thought, I thought, he's crazy. Not that my mother-in-law, oh man, Karen, you still in here? I love your mom. She's awesome. This guy was so twisted that many historians believe that he actually burned the city of Rome. He burned his own city. In July of 64 A.D., this big, huge fire broke out, and it burned for five days uncontrollably, and they could not put it out. Finally, on the sixth day, they, they were able to put it out, and, and then it reignited, and it burned for another three days. And many people believe that Nero set the fire, and the reason that he set that fire was because he had this insatiable attitude, this, this desire that he, he wanted to be a builder, and he wanted to build these great monuments, obviously, so that he would be remembered forever, right? But the Senate wouldn't let him, so he just burned everything up so he could build anyway. Well, that didn't go well for him, as you can imagine, and evidently people started to blame him for burning Rome because they knew how evil he was. They knew his desires. 
they started to blame him, so he did what anybody would do. He started to blame some others, somebody else, right? And so he said, no, 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 I didn't do it. I, it's, it's those other people. It's those followers of Jesus. You know those followers of Jesus. They're crazy. And you remember the, the guy that they're following, Jesus himself. I mean, he, well, I mean he, he was hung on a cross, and he was hung on a cross because he was trying to take over to overthrow the government, and they're trying to do the very same thing. They're the ones who are, who are responsible for burning the city. And so this already hated group of people were persecuted and hated even more. And to give you an idea how sick he was, among other things, he actually put animal skins on Christians. Then he would lock them in a cage, and then he would unleash a pack of wild dogs. Some historians will even say tigers or lions. As he would sip wine, and this would be just for his amusement, and these, they would be mauled, and, and you can imagine that kind of death. It's terrible. Then he would take Christians, and he would dip them in hot wax alive. And then he would tie them to a tree, and he would set them on fire, and these people would be human candles to light the night skies. And then he would throw these huge parties, and not just that people would gaze out into a garden from a distance to see these people dying, but literally that they would intermingle with these Christians who had been set on fire. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? We don't know anything like that in this country. And that's the context into which Peter was writing when he wrote the book that we're about to read. So if you're suffering some kind of hardship, then you're perfectly suited to read First and Second Peter. If you're going through something right now, if, you're, if life is hard, if you're experiencing trials right now, if you're dealing with, with grief right now, if, if you look at life and it's not what you wish it was on some level, any level, then I'm telling you, this, to, to read this book is going to be refreshing for you. It's going to be challenging at times, no doubt, but it's, it's going to give the suffering, it's going to give it purpose, it's going to give it meaning, it's going to give you hope that something will be better on the other side. It's going it's to strengthen your faith if you'll let it. And somehow to say that just doesn't set well, does it? So Peter says to these hurting Christians in verse 6, here's what he says. And this is bold, at least for me. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Now, can you imagine if it was your child, if literally it was your child? Could you imagine if it was your son that was dipped in hot wax and, and then set out and, and tied to a tree and then set on fire? Could you, could you imagine how you would feel? I mean, you got to admit, some, it would seem as though somebody would stand back and go, whoa, wait a minute. God, where are you, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who sent a Savior to save us all from our sin? I mean, where are you? Where's this great love now? You loved us enough to die for us. You loved us enough to give your life for us. But you abandoned us during your greatest hour of need when we are only going through this. We're only being persecuted because we're standing for you. How would you feel? I've got people that are on my prayer list. I've got people literally that I send Scripture to just about every morning that I text. And, and some of those people are going through great loss. And i got to be honest, there's been times when I've gone through Scripture and said, God, what verse would you lead me to? And I would come to a verse like this, and it would, I would stop. 
I just go, oh. I don't, I mean, how would they feel? It's like somehow that experience that they're going through, that thing that they're going through is not legit. But that's what he says. In all this, you greatly rejoice. But if anybody can make that statement, it's Peter. If anybody can make that statement, it's him because he suffered a lot for the cause of Christ. And in a few short years, he will literally give his life. He will be crucified on a cross upside down. So he can say that. So then he says, and this is the encouraging part of verse 6. Though now for a little while, be careful how you read a little while. I want to make sure you understand the context. He said, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In other words, here's what he's saying. God may not take these temporary trials away now. So I think if you just a casual reading, you might read that and go, okay. So what he's saying is, okay, you're just going to go through that just for a little while. But here on earth, and God's going to give you victory over here. And for some of those people, they never found that victory. I mean, there is literally a roll call of faith in Hebrews where it gives a list of people who died for their faith. They gave their lives hideous deaths because of their belief in Jesus. They saw the resurrected Lord. Their lives had been changed from the inside out. They were different. They were different. And he said, it may not end here. It may not end here. But there is wonderful joy ahead. And then he's going to show these, that these trials, that they have a purpose. Verse 7, here's what he says. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. They have come so that the genuine, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So this, these struggles, these hard times, these difficult days, the loss that you're experiencing, on whatever level of loss it may be, a loss of a job, somebody that you love, a friendship, whatever that loss, whatever it is that you're grieving, whatever your hurt, whatever your pain may be, he says it's there to prove the genuineness of your faith. So as I read through this, as I was thinking through this, I thought, well, if there's a genuine faith, you know what, then there's a false faith. If there's a genuine faith, there's a false faith. And my fear is that there may be some who, who maybe believe that they have some kind of genuine faith when in reality all you have is a false faith. And i got to be honest, I was working through this text, and that kind of happens when you, when, you, when you preach through a book of the Bible, you know, and I say, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to preach from next? And he says, I want you to do First Peter. And I go, awesome. And then, like, you'll get in, this, you know, you'll get in the text, and you'll think, like, can we, can we go around this part right here, you know? Like, can we just, like, jump to chapter 2? Can I leave this part out? And he said, no. I go, but I don't, I don't know. Springwell's different. I don't know that we have a lot of people with false faith. I really don't. We read so many unchurched people. We don't have a, a ton of super religious people. I mean, our people are different. He said, man, just preach the truth. I said, yes, sir. So let me wrap it up this morning by talking about what genuine faith is not. Listen. Genuine faith is not built on the back of someone else. 
Does that make sense to you at all? It's not built on the back of other followers of Jesus. You can't inherit somebody else's faith. Genuine faith that your mom or your dad had is not good enough for you. I mean, I remember, I remember thinking of my girls. I remember thinking at a certain age, and I remember as I watched them struggle, and I remember thinking to myself as Holy Spirit would speak to me, and he would say, they've got to work this out on their own. They, you, they, can't, they can't skate in on your faith. They can't, they can't live your life. They've got to be able to have this personal walk with me all on their own. It's the only thing that will get them through the difficulties of life. So believing faith, genuine faith, is personal. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. It's all about your full surrender to him. You cannot inherit the faith of your parents. You cannot inherit the faith of your spouse. It's got to be yours. And then second, genuine faith cannot just be assumed. I mean, this is my thing. Y'all just don't know this is my thing, man. I... So I, was I called to be an evangelist? I, I don't even know how to answer that, honestly. I think everybody is. And so I don't know how to so say, I think you're just as called as I am. I don't think it matters. But let me tell you why. See, I was, I was lost, and then I got found, you know. I mean, I was, I was out in the world. I was a mess. My life was a wretched mess. And Jesus didn't come to meet me, you know, in church on a Sunday morning. I wasn't going to church. He found me on my job at 10 minutes till 7 on a Monday morning. He sought me out. And then I found him. It took me a year to get in church. I didn't like church. I really, really didn't like religious people. I still don't. They make me uncomfortable. How about you? I remember, um, I'll never forget telling a man, uh, one time, he, he was telling me, I was sharing the Lord with this guy. And, and I was looking at him, I was talking about Jesus. And have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? And I knew he'd been a church, and, you know, a church tender his whole life. And um, he looked at me and he said, what? I can't have a clue to what I was talking about. And I thought that was really, really odd. And I thought, what do you mean? It's like Jesus 101. He said, well, let me tell you what happened. When I was just a kid, he's maybe 8, 10 years old. I don't remember what he said. He said, but when I was just a kid, he said, um, I got up on one Saturday morning, and uh, I, I went out to work in the fields with my dad. We were picking up hay, and he says, we're picking up hay. My dad looked at me, and he said, son, I think it's time you join the church. I think it's time you join the church. And so in the morning, in the morning, I might lose some of you here if you folks aren't, you know, really up on church. But um, So in a Baptist church on a Sunday morning, this guy's what he said. He said, you know, the pastor's going to preach, and he's going to give an invitation. And at the end, he's going to call people to, you know, to come down front. I know. We did this years ago here, and this guy came down. He shook my hand. He said, man, this is cool, but what are we supposed to do down here? <laughs> that's my people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's my people. So anyway, that's why we don't try to confuse you with things. You know, we give an invitation every week. It's just different. Anyway, anyway, so he said, he said, listen, when the pastor gives the invitation, you go down front, you walk up to him, you shake his hand, and you say, pastor, I want to join the church. So next morning, sure enough, the invitation was given. He came down. He reached out, took his pastor's hand. He said, I, I want to join the church. He said, that's awesome. He said, I want you to take a seat right here on the front row. And you have to take a seat on the front row because we have to vote on you. We don't do that either. <laughs> I always that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> well, but what are we voting on? No, you're in, you're out, buddy. I'm sorry. You don't cut the mustard. You're out. 
I, what are we doing? So anyway, church membership. Anyway, I get it. So anyway, so sure enough, the invitation was over with. He brought the young man up. He said, you know, so-and-so here, he's come today. He wants to join church. Do I have a motion? Do I hear a motion that he be received? I thought, received? What? What is received? Anyways, so yeah, I have a motion, I have a second, and everybody said amen, and boom, it was done. He said, you know what? A few weeks later, I was baptized, but no one ever shared the gospel with me. Nobody ever told me about Jesus. What you're telling me right now, I've never heard before in all my life. I said, you are got to be kidding me. So here's what I'm saying. Just because you were baptized when you were eight, you can't assume that you're saved. I'm not trying to shake your faith. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not. But I do think you have to examine. Just, just because you're a Baptist and you join a Baptist church or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Church of God or a Pentecostal, it doesn't matter. Just, just so you know, you can say, I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal. Awesome. But are you a child of God? Because when you get there, you can't pull out your Baptist card. Man, I'm in. You know, it's not like they're going to have a little whatever those things are. And you got something on your chain and you just... And you go, that's not going to be that way. A real faith, a genuine faith is different than false faith. It has to be personal. So maybe you're wondering, you know, maybe I've messed with you a little bit this morning or maybe God's messed with you a little bit this morning and you're thinking, man, this is a really big deal. So how do I know if my faith is genuine or, or false? I don't want to leave here this morning confused. Well, Jesus talked about this as well as Peter. Jesus talked about this in a story that he told about the sower and the seed. In Matthew 13, verse 4, he said this, As he, as he being the sower, was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. And it sprang up quickly, but because the, sh the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns and they grew up and they choked the plants. And so bottom line, what Jesus was saying, what Peter is saying is, is that hardship and persecution and temptation will always show you how deep your faith really is. It is very possible that there are those of you this morning who have a false faith, and I believe that God brought you here today so that you could turn that false faith into a genuine faith. Trials can reveal the depth of your faith. I would definitely say that a faith that is tested is one that can be trusted. And let me tell you, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not on my high horse this morning. Listen, I've gone through some deep testing of my faith. My dad died when I was 10. I mean, I can look at it right now and tell you, man, I, there's not many of my family left. I've buried so many young people in my family. 21, 22, 25, 40. I've been, a, I've been abandoned by the closest friends I've ever had in the world. I've watched the church from going from being one of the fastest growing churches in the state of South Carolina to we thought we were going to have to shut the doors you don't think my faith was challenged yeah it was you don't think there were times when I looked up at God and shook my fist and said stuff that I can't say here on Sunday morning yes but, but my point is that through all of that I came to a place and I remember crying out to God saying 
listen, I got nowhere else to go. You're it for me. There is nothing else. I tried everything that the world had. It always left me void. And somehow, even through the muck and the mire and the hurt and the pain and the loss and the grief, son of a gun, I still, there's still something. You're still here with me. I feel your presence. It doesn't always take away the pain. struggled God loves you so much that he brought you here this morning to help you understand that you're not experiencing a trial because you're bad or you did something wrong God please hear me but that he can actually use that trial to strengthen you to conform you to the image of his son to change you to make you different from the inside out you might have a financial situation. You might have a physical condition. It might be someone that you love. It might be relational. It might be emotional. It might be some type of addiction. And maybe you're here this morning. And you say, "You know what, man? I'm there. I'm, I'm going through. I, I'm going through some trials and some tribulations. I'm going through some difficult times. I'm struggling in relationships. I'm struggling with my faith." I, I want to I persevere to the end. I want to be faithful. And maybe what you're thinking, I just need some prayer. And I know, I know the cool thing would be to have every head bowed and every eye closed, but this is such a safe place that you know what we can do is, if that's you, would you just, could you raise your hand right now in front of God and everybody and say, yeah, man, that's me. I'm struggling. I'm going through some difficult times. I don't know how to persevere then let me pray for you. And for those of you that are looking around, you've probably gone through your stuff, would you just help me pray for these folks as well? Lord, I pray for these folks that are struggling. I know what it's like to struggle. Lord, Peter, as he's writing this letter to these people, he knew what it was like to struggle. Father, I pray that you will overwhelm them with your presence, God, and your power. And Lord, even if things don't change here, Lord, that they'll understand that they're just strangers here. They're just pilgrims here. Pilgrims here, Lord. They're foreigners in a strange land. This ain't it. That there's a greater joy to look forward to. Lord, overwhelm them with your presence and your power, God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've realized that your faith has been false. It's not real. Maybe it was built on the backs of someone else, a family member, a friend. You say, you know what? It's not real. But I want it to be real. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, you know what? I, I don't even have to doubt. I mean, I've never professed any kind of faith in Jesus at all. But I'm willing to do that right now. And if that's you, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, then maybe you just pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you just tell him, say, Father, I feel your presence right now. You're real. I believe in you. I don't understand it all, but I'm, I'm just believing and I'm trusting. And I want to thank you for giving your life on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you're alive because I feel your presence right now. And I'm just asking, Father, I'm asking 
that you forgive me, that you save me. And to the best of my ability, I'll, I'll just surrender my life to you. Everybody look this way. One of the things that we do here several times a year is, is that we, we do what's called communion. If you're brand new to church, then you have some cards literally right there in your seat that will explain communion to you in detail so you'll know what's going on in just a few minutes. It's a beautiful, wonderful time for me. It takes me back to, it reminds me of the cross and what the price that Jesus paid. It always humbles me, keeps me centered, if that makes sense. So the night before Jesus died, he called his disciples together and he passed out some bread and he said, every time you partake of the bread, I want you to remember me, a body that's going to be given. They couldn't understand. They couldn't conceive possibly what he was talking about. And then he said, you're going to pass out a cup of wine. He said, as often as you drink the wine, then I want you to remember my blood that's going to be shed for you. And again, they thought he was going to be the next emperor of Rome. They, they wanted him to be a ruler, a king, and they couldn't understand it all. He said, but I'm telling you, what you're going to see in the next few hours is going to shake you. So I want you to partake of this thing called communion. It's often called the Lord's Supper. And when you do, I want you to remember there will be a time. I want you to look back and remember the body that was given, the blood that was shed. It's a powerful, powerful time. It's a time to reflect. It's time to be challenged. So we have stations that are set up all over the auditorium, some gluten-free stuff actually that's in the back for those of you that need that. So as you're if a follower of Jesus and you want to participate, you do not have to be a member of this church. It has nothing to do. That's not about church membership. That's, that's a God thing. That's a Jesus thing between us and Him. So you can find a place that's nearest to you, and there will be some folks there that will serve you. The band's going to sing. And then we'll, then we'll go. You know, the beautiful thing about this is I'll get to do this with my family. I'll get to hang out with my girls. So use this time as a family, as a couple. And then sometimes maybe just as a, you know, you just want to steal away by yourself. and Maybe kneel here at the altar. Whatever you need to do, make it a sweet, sweet time. Let's pray together. Father, use this time, Lord, to speak to us deeply, to move us greatly to remind us of the incredible price that was paid for us on Calvary. Thank you. It's in your sweet name we pray.